and welcome you on this Lord's Day as we continue our series, First Things. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. Let us pray and then we will read the scripture. <clears throat> Gracious, holy Father, Son and Spirit, we do ask your assistance this morning as we listen to your word. Let it be uh, instructive for our lives. Let it be uh, a sanctifying tool, Lord, making us more like Christ. We ask that you would, by your grace, give hearing to our ears and belief to our hearts, understanding to our minds. I decrease, Lord, become more in the lives of your people. For the glory of Christ we pray. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. As far as the reading of God's word, please be seated. We turn now from our study of the covenant of grace and the covenant of redemption, which I do pray, we do pray that you benefited greatly from, to consider this morning the curse upon man and woman for their disobedience against the commands of God. Brothers and sisters, there are consequences to sin. We have talked over the past three weeks now, of grace, and praise God for his grace. We have talked last week about the covenant of redemption, and praise God that before the foundation of the world, he determined to save a particular people for his glory. But, brothers and sisters, there are consequences to sin. And now, the man and the woman must suffer the consequences for their sins. But as we shall see as we move further along toward the end of this chapter, which we are quickly approaching, the curse that God gives to Adam and the woman for their sin is, is really that which a father gives to his child. Listen to what I mean. The serpent has been cursed and his fate is sealed in destruction. He will be destroyed. He shall ultimately, because of his role in causing man and woman to fall, he shall ultimately be crushed, crushed under the foot of the skull-crushing seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ. His ultimate end is without hope of survival. See that? But it is not so for the man or the woman. For Adam and the woman, there is hope. In spite of their disobedience to God, there is hope. There is a promise. There is good news. There is the gospel. God speaks to his son, Adam, and to his daughter, Eve, which we'll find out her name later. The woman, as a father who disciplines or chastises his children for dis their disobedience. And there is a great difference there. We may see curse. But in the way that the father speaks to his children, it is more of a disciplining chastisement upon his children. He begins with a woman, God the Father. And you may ask, why did God begin 
with the woman. Well, he did not actually begin with the woman, did he? Who did he begin with? The serpent. He began with Satan. And then the woman. The woman receives her, her sentence, if you will, after the serpent because, and before the man because she was first and more deeply in transgression. She was the means of drawing her husband into sin. But Adam, yes, Adam sinned. Adam was responsible. Yes, he was. And we shall discuss Adam next week. But the woman, as the Apostle Paul says, led Adam astray and he sinned against God. She is not more sinful than man. She is not less sinful than man. Women. You are not more sinful than man, and you are also not less sinful than man. Man and woman are equal in their sin, and their curses affect one another in their relationship in relation to what they are called to do in that relationship or in relationship to the roles in their marriage. But the woman ate first, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her. Genesis 3.16, to the woman, he said, I will surely, God, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Brothers and sisters, the Lord God created man in his image. Man was called to be a prophet, a priest, and a king. Man was called to be fruitful and to multiply, to exercise dominion over the entire earth, to bring the earth to consummation by expanding the glory of the Garden of Eden, the Garden Temple, to the very ends of the earth. You know this. Man was alone in that calling. In all of creation, there was no counterpart for man. There was no one to be his companion. The Lord saw that it was not good for man to be alone. And created from man a helper that might help Adam fulfill all that God commanded him to accomplish. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is God's creative order. This is how God has intended man and woman to function in his creation. This is before the fall. The woman did not become the helper after the fall. The woman became man's helper before the fall when all things, as God says, were good. Man was good, but it was not good for man to be alone. Man is good, but man plus woman is even better. And all the husbands said, that was really slow, husbands. <laughs> Amen. The woman was the perfect helpmate for man. The woman was the perfect helpmate for Adam. Together, they would be fruitful. Together, they would multiply. Together, they would fulfill God's commission to expand the glory of Eden to the very end of the earth. Adam would be, would be king. The woman would be his queen as they rule together, as they exercise dominion over the, the earth together. Until one dreadful day when Satan, in the guise of a slithering serpent, suggested to the woman, that she might be able to attain the throne of a God. 
Satan planted the poisonous seeds of the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. And this once innocent minded woman made in the image of God lost her mind. All with one suggestion. You could be God. The prospect of Godhood overtook the innocent mind of this once rational creature to the point that she reached out and partook of that which was forbidden by God, that which God would promise would produce death should she or he partake. She then gave some to her husband and together. Rather than exercising dominion over the earth, together they brought down Every man, woman, boy, and girl into the depths of depravity. This morning, we will consider two points. Number one, the curse of childbearing. The curse of the woman, our title. Number one, the curse of childbearing. The curse of childbearing. 316, Genesis. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply. If you're taking notes, circle the word multiply. Your pain in childbearing, in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Brothers and sisters, do you notice how this curse from God, this discipline from God, is pointing back to God's commission for man and woman? Adam and the woman were called to do what? To be fruitful and to do what? Multiply. But the fall. The fall has caused multiplication now to be cursed rather than a blessing. Is God going to change his commission to multiply and to fill the earth? No, it will not be changed. But it will now be difficult. Adam and the woman are still called to be fruitful and multiply. They, they are called to, they were called to fill the earth with what? Holy seeds. Righteous offspring. And now they will be responsible for filling the world with what? Fallen sinners. You see that? Before the fall, they were charged with filling the world with righteous seeds. After the fall, they will be responsible for filling the world with unrighteous seeds. There, are not, there is not one person who shall be born of the woman who is not touched with the sin of their federal head by birth. All are born, all who are born of the flesh are touched, infected with the sin of Adam. There are no babies born innocent. Every baby, boy, girl, is born with the sin of Adam. There are no little ones whose souls are not touched by this sin. Man will multiply on the earth, and as man multiplies, the woman will suffer. She will suffer in childbearing. She will have pain. And notice that the Lord God said that he will multiply her pain in childbearing. Multiply. Do you see the connection there? The connection between the commission of men before the fall. Before the fall, the command was to be fruitful and to multiply. And now the fall or the, the commission is still the same. But it will come with a multiplication of pain. That which was to be with ease is now going to be brought forth with difficulty. The implication is that this 
before the fall, the fruit of the woman's womb, children, that process would be painless. The implication is before the fall of man, woman would be able to bring forth children, not only without pain, but listen, but also without the devastation of death. In childbearing. What was initially intended to be a blessing of bringing forth holy seeds would now be a curse of bringing forth children of wrath. And in the process, women will experience pain and even in many cases, death. As a result of this curse, as a result of disobedience. And brothers and sisters, in the history of mankind, countless children, countless mothers have lost their lives bringing forth children into this world. But it was not to be the case before the fall. Imagine a world where every pregnancy was without complication. Those who are pregnant, those who have been pregnant, imagine no nausea. No uh, particular cravings for anything. No cramping. But ease, a joyful nine months. Imagine a world where every delivery was out was without the need of epidurals. Imagine a world where where every delivery was out was without the need of Demerol or morphine or 72 hour labors or more. Only women know what I'm saying right now. Even as I say what I'm saying, only women know what I'm saying. Even though it's coming out of my mouth, I don't know what I'm saying is what I'm saying. Imagine a world where there were no children, there were no mothers who are lost in delivery, but where every delivery was painless and joyful. Brothers and sisters, we all know this curse all too well. My wife herself, when, de- when she delivered our son Nazareth, spent at least two months in bed recovering. And while she recovered, many children and many mothers died. Many children don't ever leave the hospital for months because of early complications. And some children never leave the hospital except to go to the morgue. And we know this pain all too well. It is the pain of the curse of man. And what is worse? And what is worse? There are some Women who have chosen to kill their own babies. To abort them rather than endure the pain and the responsibility of childbearing. Brothers and sisters, let us rejoice for all of the children that God has graciously given us by birth. Let us rejoice for many, many women. God has allowed many women to survive the war of childbearing. God has been pleased so many times to give us healthy mothers and healthy children, and we must not take them for granted. God has allowed them to endure that pain. But when there are complications, when there is pain, when there is at times death, this will be difficult for me to say. We should not be surprised. Because this is the curse of sin. This is the consequence of sin. There is no sin without consequence. 
We trust that the little ones who die in infancy shall be with the Lord and the parents who are left behind, that they not lose heart. That they not lose heart, but that they rejoice in those desperately difficult times, which I pray that none of us have to endure. Trust that death does not have the final word. That the Lord reigns. That life is but a mist. That the Lord gives and the Lord takes it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Number two. The curse of conflict. The curse of conflict. Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said. I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Brothers and sisters, the Lord God created woman to be a helpmate for man. The woman was to be man's companion. His enjoyment. His fulfillment, if you will, apart from God. But after the fall. That role of the woman became cursed. Listen now, it did not change God's intention for that role. But the woman in that role became cursed as she tried to attain that for which God had created her to do. Brothers and sisters, there is no record of the woman coming to her husband, her head, her uh, authoritative leader, to consult his wisdom concerning her decision to partake of that which God forbade. She didn't go to Adam and ask, what do you think? The woman made an independent decision. The woman made an independent decision. Now, what is her God-given role? What purpose did God create? For what purpose did God create the woman? To be a helpmate for man. She was created to help men fulfill the commission of God. Excelling in that role is how she glorifies God. What was one of the things that God commanded Adam not to do? Partake of the fruit. She was to help Adam abstain from that fruit to keep the covenant of work so that he might expand the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And yet, very consciously, independently, she violates a command. That was communicated to her by her husband from God. What is her role? Helpmate. Help me do what, woman? To fulfill the commission of God on this earth. What does that entail? One of of the aspects of that is abstaining from this tree. You see that? Her role was to help. Is she helping when she independently says, I'll take a bite? No. She knew from God's word or from her husband what God had said. Genesis 3, 2. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. She's not ignorant. Not ignorant of what God has said. And she's also not ignorant of her decision. To do what? To not consult her husband. Her head. Before she ate of the forbidden fruit. The woman forsook 
her husband's headship. The woman rebelled against her husband's headship. The woman resisted her husband's headship. A headship that was instituted by the man? By God. The man didn't say, look, woman, uh, I'm the boss now. Did he? Who installed Adam as head over the woman? God did. And this decision to rebel against what God had instituted was a conscious decision. Listen, a conscious, conscious decision, not an unconscious decision by the woman. Her curse is therefore related to her rebellion against what God had instituted for the woman. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Instead of meeting Adam's needs as a helper, the woman, now listen to how I say this, becomes a source of potential misery for Adam and for man. Did you hear how we said that? Instead of meeting Adam's needs as a helper and glorifying God in that, the woman now becomes a potential, potential. So don't uh, take this out of context, a potential source of misery for the man. The woman forsook man's headship. And now the curse of woman will be this. She will be prone to resist and even attempt to overthrow what God has established in creation, male headship. There will now be strife and conflict in the marriage. There will now be a struggle for authority and leadership in the marriage. Men, you are so quiet. Where are your amens? You are wise men. The woman was created because it was not good for man to be alone. But after the fall, Scripture makes it clear that it is often better for a man to be alone than to be with a contentious wife. Consider the Proverbs. Proverbs 19, 13. A foolish son is ruined to his father. And listen, a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. Proverbs 21, 9 and Proverbs 25, 24 say it is better to live in the corner of a housetop. Picture that. Think of your house. Think of its corner. Then in a house, then in a house with a quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 21, 19. Better to live in a desert land with a quarrelsome, better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Scripture tells us that a deserted, quiet place with no earthly comforts can be more comfortable than a pleasant house with a quarrelsome wife. Scripture tells us that the corner of a roof, did you get the picture of that? A place, and I'm thinking of this little corner right here on, on this pulpit, a place that is uncomfortable, a place that is isolated, that is exposed to the elements, is better than living in the comforts of a home and yet with a quarrelsome wife. Better live here than in there. And Scripture also points out one of the most annoying sounds on earth. Dripping water. From a faucet. We love streams. 
We love rivers. We love brooks. We love waterfalls. But a dripping faucet? Kill me now. And so it is with a quarrelsome, contentious wife. Dear sisters, and I hope you still love me this morning. You can be a source of blessing to your husband or you can be a source of cursing to your husbands. It is important to consider this may not completely describe you. Or it may show that you are prone to being this kind of woman. But it is important for you to consider it. To acknowledge it if you are. And repent before God if so. I understand. This is not taking into account what he's done to get you there. We'll deal with him next week. Ask yourself this morning. Am I making my marriage a blessing? Or am I making my marriage a curse? We must always be careful not to immediately commit the same sin of our first parents when confronted with sin. What was their sin? Not me, you. Well, I did this because you did that. The sin of our first parents was the blame game. And in the blame game, no one has fun and no one wins. Everybody loses. If we point our finger at ourselves, we sometimes do so dishonestly. And what do I mean by that? Okay, I admit it. I'm angry. I'm contentious. I'm impatient. I'm unkind. But it's only because you. That is no way to confess sin. Brothers and sisters, the true way to confess sin. Well, going back, that is I do this because you do that is going back to what our parents did in this. Yes, I sinned, but the woman you gave me. See the same pattern? I ate of the fruit, but the serpent. That's no way to confess sin. And that doesn't make things better. It makes things worse. You ever had an argument with your wife or loved one? And you are confessing what you've done. And at the same time, pointing out areas that they've done. And what does it cause them to do? Well, I did this because you did that. And the argument never ends. It's not actually confessing your sin if you're pointing out other people's sin. What did God say? Christ said, take the log out of your own eye. Before you start pointing out the sins of everyone else. Confess, I have truly and willingly sinned against you and I'm sorry. And don't wait for them to say, and I've also done the same. It doesn't matter what they say. It matters what you say. I've sinned. And how many times has my wife taught me what it means to confess sin that you've personally done, that I personally have done, and leave it there without saying, "Uh, I'm waiting. Your turn. No. If it never comes, it never comes. But you know that you have sinned before God and before your spouse. Do your part. Let God handle them. You do your part. That's confession. I have sinned truly. I have sinned personally. I did this. 
and where there is sin. Always consider first that you are the culprit. That you are the one wrong. If you go into arguments and saying, but I've done nothing wrong. You're a liar. You're a sinner in Adam. You have done something wrong. So confess it. But I'm the only one. Stop. You're making things worse. End it. I've sinned. I'm wrong. And it's when you do that that you truly understand the gospel. That you truly understand the grace that you need. That you are a rebel against God. That it was us. We have sinned. We can't point the finger to anyone else but ourselves. We're the reason for our fallen nature. Us. And when we confess our sins and go to God for grace, he is gracious and merciful to forgive us. Our spouses may not be, but go to him first. He first. Repent to him. Then go to your spouse. And whatever happens with them, let it be in God's sovereign hand. Not your, not your will to bend or make them who you want them to be. It's God's work. The Lord says, your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. What does this mean? Well, it's not referring to an affection, if you're wondering, that the woman will have for her husband. It is not speaking of a loving desire for her husband. Rather, it means the woman will desire to take her husband's place in the family structure. But it will not change God's creative order. She will Uh, want that struggle or that power. She will want that authority. It is built into her fallen nature. And not every woman displays this equally. But it is there. Your desire will be for your husband to master over him, to take his place, to rule over him. But he will rule over you. Why? Because that is the way God has ordered and structured the, the, the marriage from creation. That is God's creative order. The woman did not consult the man. The woman did not submit to the leadership of her husband, the headship of her husband. And now her curse will be to seek the place of authority in the union of marriage. It's much like the curse of Satan. Satan took on the form of a what? A serpent. God's curse to him was, you want to be a serpent? Now you're a serpent. To the woman, you want authority? You're not going to have it, but you're going to be trying to get it all your life, and you're not going to get it. You see that? You're going to seek control, but you'll never get it. And, and as you seek that control, there is going to be a lot of conflict in your marriage. Once again, not all women do this. Not all women do this to the same degree, but it is present, and it is real, and we must confess it. And what is worse What is worse? We've already done a what is worse. What is worse is that men often gladly give up that headship. Often giving up headship because of their combative, quarrelsome wife. What do I mean by that? In order to avoid a fight, the husband says, I give up. I don't even want to fight with you. He would rather give up leadership, give up headship, than deal with the wrath of his wife. That is not the creative order of God. And it is a result of the fall of man. Men, I encourage you to be strong. Be loving. Be firm in your leadership. But have a backbone. Often, 
women do not just want to exercise freedom in their marriage. They want to seize authority in their marriage. And it's a reversal, again, of the creative order. A helper was created by God. And she was created to uphold and support. But the curse of the woman is that she does not want to support or uphold. She wants to overthrow and suppress. That is her curse. I cringe at the man who allows his wife to run over him. I cringe at the man who allows his wife to take him by the hand as if he was a child and not a man. Why? Because this is not the creative order of God. And especially, especially if they're believers. Men, remove from your vocabulary. Mama's the boss in this house. No, she is not. And woman, submit to the fact that you should say amen to that. Because that's not the way God made it. Amen. And and this is not to say that a man should run over his wife. Or that he should take her by the hand as if she was a child. But it is to say, display loving leadership in the home in a way that reflects Christ's love for his bride. And the bride's submission to her loving leader. That's the way God made it. Can I say something real quick? And stop fighting over petty things. Stop letting people get into the ears of your head in a marriage. It's you and your wife. Everyone else, stay out of this business. It's us here. Husband, do your part. Woman, do your part. Stop fighting over petty things. And stop letting people influence you on how you should act in your marriage. Husband and wife, work it out. Not husband, wife, and grandma, grandpa. Husband, wife, auntie, uncle. Husband and wife, work it out. Wife, submit. Husband, lead. The New Testament writers gave practical commands on how to live as believers. Two wives. In Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, Titus, and 1 Peter, the writers command the women to be subjected or submit to their husbands. And were they just simply rehearsing duties? Here's your list of to-dos, now do it. No. There were actual pastoral concerns where the sisters need to be, needed to be exhorted on how they should live with their husbands. And how husbands should lead their wives. They needed this encouragement. It wasn't just a list. It was, here's a need I see in the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. Proverbs 12, 4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who brings shame is like rottenness to his bones. What are our bones for? They help us to stand upright. They help us to be strong. A shameful wife can be corruption to the very bones of a man. They can disintegrate or weaken the bones of a man. That which is supposed to be a source of strength can be a source of weakness to where a man feels like he can't even stand up straight anymore. What Stevie Wonder say? She doesn't use his, her love to make him weak. She uses love to make him strong. That old blind prophet. And brothers... We must learn that just because a wife has thoughts 
of her own and is willing to share them does not mean that she's combative. Just because a woman has thoughts of her own and is not and she should not be afraid to share them. If you're lovingly leading her, she feels like she has an open platform to share anything with you. Doesn't mean that she's combative. Doesn't mean that she's rebellious. I had to learn this in my own life. That I have a wife who, although you see her quiet, she has thoughts of her own. She has ideas of her own. And it is not my role to say, woman, be quiet, say nothing, follow me two feet behind me wherever I go. That's not the role of a man, and that's not what loving submission looks like either. But we must face this curse head on. Come to grips with how it affects us in our own personal lives, in our own marriages. Women, maybe talk to other women. Can I say something real quick? This is a small church. This is a church that is in many ways a family you should be able to trust, not, not saying go to every single person, but you should be able to trust someone in the church to give you godly counsel and advice, especially when you're willing to say, here's a sin that I'm struggling with. And I need a godly woman to help me work through these things. Not to say how bad your husband is. Not to gossip about the things that he does that you can't stand. But to bring out the areas in your own lives where you see the curse of woman evident in your own life. Here's some of the things that I'm struggling with, and I know it comes from my sin. Talk about them. What's the purpose of that? Dear sister, the purpose of that is so that we might identify sin and then put it to death. Why talk about these things? So that you can highlight it. You can identify it and say I need to put this to death. Or, better yet, I need God to put this to death in me. Bring them to God. Repent of them. Don't just say, I'll do better, I'll do better. You can't do better. You never do better. We never do better. You don't have the strength to do better. You need God. You need the fellowship of believers around you to help you. Don't forsake them. Don't, don't act like everything's okay when it's not. Why are we here for? To put on a, a mask and act like everything's okay when it's not? That's the most deceitful, un, untruthful thing you can do as a believer. If something's happening, if there's struggle, confess it. You are not, especially if you are a member of a church, you are not supposed to go through that alone. you hear that? That's why we're here. Not to say, hey, Pastor Zay, man, I got a juicy one for you today. Let's pray after I tell you about it. Not the case. We'll work through it with you. <sighs> Allow Christ to take that sin. Ask him to forgive you. And he will do so as a faithful Savior. Ask the Holy Spirit to make you a wife that is the crown on the head of your husband. What you want when your husband speaks about you, not to say the old lady, the old ball and chain. What you want him to say, wonderful, God-exalting things about you when he speaks of you. And men, you should. 
Men, you should. And women, you should. In reference to your husband. You should. And when it comes to sin, it's yours. It's yours. Here's what I struggle with. Here's what I need to confess. Confess your sin to the Lord. Ask him to help you be a blessing. Listen, be sweet to him. Be caring towards him. And don't say, that's just not me. I'm not sweet. I'm not kind. Are you a believer? Yes. Do you know what the fruit of the evidence of a believer is? The Holy Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. If you're a believer, this should be coming out of your life. Don't say, I'm just not sweet. Are you a believer? Yes. Do you see an issue here? If you say I'm not sweet and yet you say you're a believer, then you're not a believer. Because sweetness should be coming out of you as a believer. Yeah, but he, here we go again. Don't do that. No, you, you're right. I need. And listen, not every, not every argument is a hill you need to die on. You hear that? The little one said amen over there. (laughs) Not every argument is the hill you need to die on. Especially if you've made a vow. Sickness and in hell. Better or for worse. Till death do us part. That means you ain't going nowhere. Until God takes me home. Why? Why are you saying... Because I made that commitment before God and before man, the people who are closest to us. I'm not going nowhere. But I'm not kind. I'm not sweet. That's your sin talking. That's sin talking that you need to confess. I say I'm not sweet and I need to ask God to help me there because I know I can be. I just don't want to. I know you don't want to. Now we're getting to the real issue. We know that it's difficult to acknowledge your sin. But be thankful for the removal of the curse of death upon your life. All of our sin has been washed away in Christ. We've been justified in Christ. We must be thankful that our failures and curses have been wiped away in Christ. Pastor John read this earlier. Our old nature has been removed. You've been given a new nature, a new spirit. God is now conforming you to the image of his son. God works in you as you strive toward him. And then you only strive toward him as he works in you. Think of how you have been justified. Now move forward from justification. You can say, I'm saved. Now allow God to work in you the process of sanctification. To remove or to kill off that old man by his spirit. And husbands, let me exhort you. This is not your sermon today for you to walk away and say, see, I told you so. Told you you need to act better. Told you. My son says that, says that to me. Told you. No, that's not, that's not why this is, this is given. Next week, it's your turn. Lovingly lead your wife's husband. They have heard God's word. Now allow God to work on them. And lead them as Christ leads his church. Brothers, how is she weak? 
And how can you help her in those weaknesses? How can you be a comfort to her? I I give everything. I, I don't have anything else to give. What is your role in the marriage? Here we go. What is your role in the marriage? You are to be Christ to her. What does that mean? You are to be willing to lay down your life if it means so. To show her that you love her as Christ loves the church. That's your that's your part. So you say, I'm stretching myself. Good. Stretch yourself till you die. At least you can say, I gave my life. And brothers and sisters, let us thank God that we have been redeemed from every curse. But let us also confess that we wrestle with these weaknesses. That we still live in a fallen world. And that we need God's help to help us in glorifying him in our marriage. And in doing so, we will be displayers, witnesses, evangelists, if you will, of the gospel. Let us stand.